Hello, I'm James Cridland and welcome to Next Radio 2017 with Broadcast Bionics. The future of radio is here. Matt Deegan and I organise the Next Radio conference every year in central London. It's an ideas conference for people who make great audio and radio, and we squeeze in as many great speakers throughout the day as we can. You can find out more about Next Radio on our website, next.radio. And in the next hour, I'll take you through many of our speakers. Coming up, how to improve radio with data, how to teach digital to the armed forces, and why radio sucks for some people. But first, podcasts. Megan Lazovic from Edison Research was our first speaker, and she had a bunch of research from the US to share with us about people who listen to speech. Where are people listening to speech? Well, it's pretty much the same amount of people are listening in the car as they are in home at 58%. Less people are listening at work or in other places. But again, when you factor in time, at home is the largest number. 58% of the time of listening to speech audio happens in the home, followed by in the car, at work, and other locations. When are people listening to speech audio. This is the portion of the population listening to speech in each hour, and you can see it peaks just during the breakfast shows between 6 and 9 a.m. There's also a smaller peak in the afternoon drive. And then uh, this is the share of time spent listening to speech. Podcast, the podcast share of ear is 11%. Now, if you compare that to broadcast radio, it's about a sixth of the size. And that's pretty amazing given the amount of time that podcasting has been around. When you look at it by age, it really varies. Younger Americans are listening to a lot more speech through podcasts than older Americans. But this gives you an idea of where things are going in the future. Now, if we look at the share of speech by uh, podcast listeners, we see that podcast number jump because over, uh, what is that, 59% of speech listening goes to podcasts. That's almost half as much as the AM FM radio number. So if you are someone who listens to podcasts, time listening to podcasts really, really expands. And we wanted to know where it's coming from. So we decided to do a little more research. We decided to sit down with some podcast listeners and ask them about their listening. And we asked them to start, where does this listening come from? I definitely listen to music less um, and almost to a fault. Sometimes I'll find myself like needing that extra boost that I would get from music, but um, I almost uh, preferentially listen to podcasts now, yeah. Just, uh, there's, so, there's so many to listen to that any available bit of time, you know, I'll choose a podcast just to like knock them out and just kind of get as much in as I can. And I, I would say that now probably more time, like, yeah, especially at work, I would have listened to music before, but now I'd rather just listen to a podcast instead of music. Like I barely listen to music anymore. I listen to music when I'm like in school. Um, so I'm going to like grad school part time. So like, let's say I have to like write a paper and like I can't really focus on words, I'll put music on. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, if I'm just like playing video games or like whatever, I'll definitely put a podcast on. I still listen to FM radio, but that's because I want to get a new car at some point down the future, so I'm not going to put a new stereo, my car's older. So I still listen to FM radio in the car, um, but if, if I had a different car with a different stereo, it would pro that would probably go away. Megan Lazovic from Edison Research and some American podcast listeners. If you want to watch the whole thing, you'll find that at next.radio. 
Now, you can enjoy a podcast with a smart speaker like an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, but Nikki Birch from BBC R&D and Rosina Sound has another idea. How many people here have got a smart speaker, uh, Alexa or Home? Quite a lot of you, which is quite reassuring. Probably, I, I, as I understand it, most people use their smart speakers for listening to things, right? which is great for us. They listen to radio, you listen to streaming services, you might listen to Audible, and you might ask it to turn the lights on and order you a pizza or something like that. What I was interested in, and we, we were interested at R&D as well, is how to create original content. So not transferring your existing content, but creating original content that makes the most of voice activation. Uh, I want to see how um, these speakers are changing, could change radio as we know it, about talking to the radio, what happens when you talk to the radio, and what kind of content you can make um, for, for that. Um, so I, uh, well, I went to R&D and said, hey, I've got a really good idea, let's create a drama. They said, yes. Um, and we created a 20-minute science fiction comedy drama uh, with four characters, one of which is you. You are a being and you are being tested by some scientists to determine what kind of being you are. And there's also a sort of series of questions are asked, and how you answer those questions kind of interprets where the story goes. My name is Dave. I hope life has been comfortable in the containment area. I suppose you might call it the kitchen, or the bedroom, or the living room. That's your choice. The scientists are nearly ready to meet you and start the inspection. You're not one we've seen before, and it's the job of the scientists to identify everything we've never seen before and incorporate it into the database. You might even be the last thing they ever have to identify before they go home. That makes you quite special. Do you feel special? Yes. Lovely. That's one for the album. I'm just going to pause it right there. You can see uh, a bit more of that video if you search Inspection Chamber, BBC R&D. And actually, that's kind of the setup. So it gets more interesting when more characters uh, are kind of brought in. Nikki Birch on an interactive drama for smart speakers. Now, you might be listening to this on a podcast or you might be listening on Upload Radio. It's a radio station where all the shows are done by people like you. Just upload your own show and it'll get on the air. David Madlin is the Chief Technical Officer for Owners Folder Media, and he explains more about Upload Radio, which was some time coming. Upload Radio is a broadcast radio station. We broadcast on DAB in three areas, in um, Surrey and South London, Gloucester, and Wrexham, Chester, and Liverpool. And basically the concept is people pay 20 quid, um, they upload their radio show, they select a slot that they wanted to go out on, and then we moderate the show, check it's compliant with Ofcom rules and regulations, and then we broadcast it, and it goes out obviously on DAB and online, and is also available in Radio Player for 30 days on catch-up. So the big elephant in the room, why did it take so long? I think the main thing um, was that it was a far bigger and more complex project than we initially realised. There were essentially no off-the-shelf tools that we could use to make this thing. We were essentially building an e-commerce platform and a playout system all rolled into one. And that was quite a bit of work. Um, even WordPress couldn't be made to do this. And believe me, we've made WordPress do lots and lots of things it was not meant to do. As a famous programmer once said, what went well and what went less well. We probably shouldn't have announced it quite as early as we did. Three years in the running, in the making was quite a long time for people to, um, to wait. More investment up front would have almost certainly helped. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, though. On the positives, what went well, uh, we had a really clear vision. 
and that undoubtedly helped. We spent a lot of time working on the UX flows, and if we hadn't have spent the time we spent on that, it would have taken far longer. So a value of a clear vision, vitally important for us. And determination. Uh, it, it was a large project. There were many times when we thought, uh, should we give up? You know, but we carried on. So yes, it took a while, um, but that also had some benefits for us. In that time, there was growth in the podcasting sector, and naturally that's a, a prime market for us to exploit. In that time also there was improvements in audio production software, so that's brilliant for us because it makes it easier to onboard our customers. How's it gone so far? Um, well, is the short answer. Um, kind of how we expected. People are reusing the system. They seem to enjoy the process of uploading their show and it being heard on, on the proper radio. And you could be on the proper radio. You'll find more information at uploadradio.com. You're listening to Next Radio 2017, a look back at the Radio Ideas Conference. I'm James Cridland, still to come, why radio sucks for some people. We hear how Annie Mack got into the business and is the future of radio live or on demand. But now, Shors Frolich from BNR News Radio, who, along with a company called Voice Up, have worked out what works and what doesn't on the radio. We're the only commercial news radio station in Holland, based in Amsterdam for almost 20 years now. And uh, myself, I worked as a DJ, as a radio host for almost 25, 30 years. And uh, now for five years, I'm editor-in-chief of this news radio station. Um, we do uh, two things. Uh, news, live reports, uh, attacks, breaking news, politics, everything what happens now. And we do that through FM and DAB+. On the other hand, we have the knowledge and the in-depth information uh, on different uh, themes like mobility, like sustainability, uh, economics, and therefore we use, of course, uh, the app, the website, and podcast. Innovation is uh, key for us, and uh, VoiceUp is very important. Um, we use VoiceUp now for almost uh, two years, and it's developing more and more through the combination of reach, uh, tune-in and tune-outs, and the volumes up and down. We have an engagement dashboard, and you see the engagement dashboard now with the colors. Green is what our listeners like, and red is what they like less. And um, yeah, well, uh, we've uh, we've managed to make uh, a technical link now with our editorial uh, playout script system, so we can exactly see uh, what subjects are popular. Um, we also get better information about the ratings with VoiceUp. We actually see what our listeners do. Uh, it brings us a lot because, as you can see, last week we had the official measurement uh, over the months June and July, and uh, our station was one of the biggest risers with 46% increase. So that's that's great. Uh, we use innovation also in marketing in uh, train stations in Holland and uh, on the near the big highways. You have those. Uh, big digital commercial um, billboards. They always used to be static, so you could put on a poster, listen to BNR. Uh, now they're digital, uh, so we can change the message throughout uh, the day with the time slots of the shows. And together with the operator of the billboards, we developed a tool uh, that gives us the opportunity uh, to uh, give breaking news on those commercial signs. So uh, our director in the radio studio 
can overrule the commercial message with breaking news or other news. And uh, the, uh, the operator is happy because it attracts attention to the billboard. And we are happy because it's a call to action to listen to the radio and listen to BNR when you are in the car. George Froelich from BNR News Radio, who went on to talk about a new system they're working on called Smart Radio, letting audiences hear more of what they're interested in. You'll find the full video at next.radio. Now, if there are any young ears around, you might want to find something else for the next few minutes because this next audio is a bit challenging. Michelle Livesey from Manchester's Key 103 talked about campaigning journalism and highlighted Claire, the subject of one of the stories. Claire was a mother of one from Salford, which was the news patch that I covered, who was murdered by her violent ex-boyfriend. Um, it was horrific. She was raped, she was strangled and she was set on fire. That came to my attention, obviously, as a news journalist covering that patch. So we reported on the murder and then the hunt went on. There was a massive manhunt for her boyfriend at the time, her ex-boyfriend, George Appleton, because the police knew of him. Um, he was then found hanged in a derelict pub five days later. Well, the inquest took place into Claire's death. And as part of that, there was lots of failings that were kind of highlighted by the coroner. Um, it came out that the police had let her down, uh, the agencies around her had let her down because she'd reported this domestic abuse and she'd reported uh, lots of things to the police and yet this man was still able to go on to kill her. One of the things, though, that came out of the inquest was the fact that George Appleton had this history of violence against women and the police knew about it, uh, women's refuge agencies knew about it, the probation service knew about it, but Claire didn't know about it. And so one of the questions that the coroner asked as a result of the inquest, she said she'd be writing to the Home Secretary to say, you know, why do people not have the right to know if their partner has a violent past? My name's Michael Brown. I'm the father of Claire Wood, who was murdered in Salford on the 6th of February 2009 by her ex-partner, who had, unknown to my daughter or myself, had a string of convictions for domestic violence before he met my daughter. If she'd known about the string of convictions he had when she first met him, I could swear that my daughter would have had nothing to do with him at all. The police phoned me as I was leaving my place at work and said they'd just found my daughter's body. I, my world collapsed. You just don't comprehend. As a parent, it's your job to protect your kids. I don't care how old they are. And I felt as though I'd let her down. The outcome of that story, Claire's Law. It's a fascinating listen. And you'll find Michelle Lives' story on the Next Radio website at next.radio, where you can also join our mailing list to find out about the next Next Radio. You're listening to Next Radio 2017, a look back at the Radio Ideas Conference with Broadcast Bionics. The future of radio is here. I'm James Cridland, still to come, a vintage clip from Tony Blackburn and a man from prison. But next, we go to the BBC Asian Network and Brett Spencer. So when I came back to the Asian Network a couple of years ago, the digital output was really old-fashioned. They were filming um, performers in parks, miming at Asian Network Mellors. There was lots of old footage. There was stuff from the BBC in Pebble Mill in Birmingham, for those of you old enough to remember. Um, and, and we wanted to really modernise what the Asian Network was digitally. So working with producer 
Kilmarnock and my fellow editor Kalik Mir, we decided to place a big bet on comedy and just do one thing digitally that was really big. And there were lots of up-and-coming Asian comedians, and the people, and Asian Network had done comedy for a while, but this was about making it bigger and amplifying it, and making shows that we could take out around the country and sell tickets for, but at the same time, getting it on BBC iPlayer, on the BBC Red Button, on YouTube, in people's social feeds, and really using it as something that we could develop to bring in new listeners, new young listeners, importantly, to the Asian Network. So my name is Sindhu V. I'm a stand-up comedian, and um, I was on the uh, I was on the bill at the first big BBC Asian Network comedy night, which was in Watford Palace. But let me give you some background. I started comedy seriously in Jan 2015, but previous to that, I was doing comedy, but not very. I couldn't do it as well as I wanted because I have three kids. You know, if there's a problem in your life, look if you have kids. <laughs> So I had three, I have three kids, and it was really hard to get out, and these gigs go on all night, and you know, it was very, very hard. I used to gig a little bit in India, because when I went back to India, I live here, but when I went back to India, I could chuck the kids at the grandparents, you know, and go out and gig. But it was really hard to have any kind of reach with my comedy. And then in January 2015, when I decided I'm gonna be very serious about it, I got a gig at Top Secret Comedy. I don't know if any of you know this, a comedy club in Covent Garden, and Romana Huck, who works with Brett on the BBC Asian Network um, comedy project, she happened to be there, she saw me, and she asked me to come along and be part of the Watford Palace bill. Now, I had not gigged to 600 people in the UK ever. So uh, that, was a, that was a wonderful thing. I thought, oh, 600 people are gonna find me hilarious. That's great. What I didn't realize was it wasn't gonna be just 600 people because what the BBC Asian Network had done is they had just up the game in terms of the digital platform. And so there were 600 people saw me that night. They loved me, by the way, just <laughs> loved me. And then after that, people saw me online because they sort of chopped it up into these really funny clips. Um, and then they saw me on the red button. They continued to see me on iPlayer, which just was absolutely thrilling for me. The only one downside was in the gig itself, I got very nervous at one point and I said a very bad, very, very bad Hindi word in my head, but I actually came out of my mouth, um, which was fine, but I didn't want my father to see it. Uh, so BBC iPlayer doesn't work in India, yay. Um, that was the only downside, but basically it catapulted my career career um, overnight because all of a sudden my reach uh, was just, you know, it was just spectacular. Um, and I think that was something that, that as a comedian uh, I didn't expect and I certainly think it was a gift. And then they went on from there to do several other nights and I would have to say now that BBC Asian Comedy Night is sought after uh, both by comedians and by audiences. I know you're all thinking, where is the next one? I'm sure you'll find out. But uh, now this is, a, this, is a, this is a big show and it happens all over the country. The most recent BBC Asian Network show, which was in Edinburgh, is on iPlayer currently, is it, it is. not? And you can watch it there. Uh, I'm not on that bill. <laughs> And I, yeah, I know, I know. I like to think it's because you can't have your poster girl on every show. So, I don't know, but do, do absolutely check it out. Sindhu V and Brett Spencer highlighting the power of multi-platform radio. Next, this bloke called James Cridlin spoke. Oh, that's me. I talked about whether the future of radio was live or on demand, and I showed lots of graphs and was brilliant, and you can get me to speak at your event. My website is james.crid.land. 
And I finished with a few thoughts. If you're building an app on a phone, which is very different to a tablet, on a phone, build something for your eyes and for your fingers, as well as for your ears. And renew that focus on on-demand content. Make it really easy to get catch-up material on on-demand content uh, on your app. As I've said, your strategy should be to get your radio station onto speakers and to get your content onto headphones. Your programming should focus, I think, on great short-form standalone content that you can very easily disaggregate from the main radio station and use that uh, on air and online. And some of the stuff that uh, George was saying earlier on about how their new smart radio thing, isn't it brilliant if you get given all of that money from Google? It's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, that's going to be really important, making sure that that audio works as a standalone piece of audio as well uh, as part of the uh, live uh, stream. Is the future of radio on demand or is the future of live? I think the future of radio uh, is both. It's both on demand and live, and we should make sure that our content works on both of those. This is Next Radio 2017, a look back at the Radio Ideas Conference. There's more on our website at next.radio, where you can see all these talks in video in full for free. Adam Waters from Forces radio station BFBS does social media and he's learned a lot from teaching army majors all about it. I think the number one thing that I've always suspected but it certainly confirmed it is that digital people especially tend to talk a lot of bollocks. Um, so I um, screwed up all my exams at school, I'm not particularly bright, um, but I get this stuff, right? Um, and it's not actually that complicated, but unfortunately there's a large part of the industry that will use unhelpful jargon like 360 degree evergreen leverage content strategy. Stuff like this that is just meaningless, it's absolutely meaningless, you know? And because of that, it creates a barrier for a lot of people. Because social media, digital platforms are raised up with this strange language, spoken about in very grandiose terms, it can confuse why it's actually important. And when I went along to the first one of these talks, a lot of these major generals knew the, that they, well, they'd heard, you know, this stuff is really important, but because it had been talked about in such an unhelpful way, it was hard for some of them to see why it's important to their organisation, the British Army. Data. Now, I, my belief, again, is that um, we do have more data than ever before. Everything is more measurable than ever before. But actually, I think people are more confused and arguably, I think, less informed. And I don't think that's actually a particularly popular view, especially when you're talking about social media. A lot has spoken about how data can inform our programming or can improve what we do. But as we look at many different organisations, this abundance of data and measurement actually is quite hard to use in meaningful ways, and it can often obscure messages. So again, what I found was um, that quite senior people were being presented with vanity metrics or very large numbers being told, hey, we got five million views on Facebook but without ever actually adding any you know, much context to them or why these numbers matter. So I actually think at the moment we are inundated with data. Organisations are inundated with data, but at the moment it's still quite hard for a lot of people to meaningfully interpret. And one thing I thought was really interesting was that these are people who I said have led people into battle. 
who have um, who are responsible for the lives of many, but will often still find it a bit nerve-wracking sending a tweet. And I think um, there is a lot of fear out there about social media, partially because um, of the way people speak about it, but also um, because it's spoken about in these, in these very grand terms. A lot of people can feel very nervous about social media. And I think in a lot of organisations that's very rarely addressed. You have to present an image of being universally pro this stuff and it's fine to have concerns or questions or feel very nervous about it. And I think if you're responsible for cultural change, it's really important to be aware that a lot of people feel very afraid and very nervous about it. And if you feel nervous and afraid about it, it's absolutely fine because some major generals do as well. There's also the other side of that that often I think people's egos can get in the way too. These are people who are used to issuing orders, to them being listened to and addressed. And sometimes some of the things I was challenging them with, they didn't particularly like to hear. And I think sometimes in your organisation, you have to address what are people afraid of and perhaps what are people a bit too egotistical about. Adam Waters from BFBS. Nan Davis from production company Something Else looks after the Penguin podcast. And she explained a bit about the format before moving on to the subject of who should present it. We wanted someone surprising, um, someone a bit quirky. Dignified but flippant is the, the ethos behind the Penguin logo. And we thought that was quite a nice brief for our presenter. So using that, we came up with Richard E. Grant. Now, the great thing about Richard is that he's inherently nosy and extremely charming, which is two really good qualities for, um, for an interviewer. Um, he also just makes people feel really, really relaxed, and people kind of open up to him a lot. So I'm going to play you a quick example now of when he interviewed Chris Packham. You were suicidal at one point, weren't you? A couple of times. A couple of times. Um, and what saved you? The first time, I think, was a lack of sincerity and the degree of you know, the suicidal urges. It was more about other people and less about me. On the second occasion, in the early 2000s, it wasn't about other people. And on that occasion, I, I was far more serious about it. And and I think that one of the things that led to my comfort with the, with the idea was we've already touched upon. And that was, you know, the good parts of my life, not the bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt that I, I'd had a very complete life. Um, I'd had extraordinarily um, good fortune, extraordinary good fortune to, to see so many and, and feel and, and, and meet so many of the things that I'd wanted. I couldn't have at that point in time have said that I didn't, I hadn't had a, a rich and rewarding life. And in a way that sort of strengthened my, my position, my argument, if you like. As it was the first time I didn't have enough pills and on the second occasion when I was seriously thinking about it I had my, my dogs there and um, I mean I love the dogs as much as I love that bird and, and they in their way they, they loved me back and I couldn't leave them on their own, I was in a place where they, I couldn't leave them on their own so that was it really Powerful stuff. Um, the other great thing about Richard is that he's great in front of a live crowd, which was handy when we took the podcast to Cambridge for a Bill Bryson special. So Richard was brilliant to launch the podcast. He was a great name. Um, but as the podcast was getting more successful, we wanted to do more episodes. Um, his sort of acting career was having a bit of resurgence and Hollywood came calling and took, it, took him away. Um, so we decided by this point, we'd sort of built such a strong format that we were going to replace him with a pool of presenters. So we have Paul Smith, who's the frontman from Maximo Park and a massive bookworm, Connie Hook and David Baddiel. So each of our presenters just brings something completely different to the studio. Um, and it means we can match up the guest and the host and just to get the best out of both of them. So since we've launched, we've been recognised by the Webby Awards, the British Podcast Awards, um, had loads of great writers ups in various publications. 
Just going to leave you quickly with some takeaways. Um, obvious, but know the audience. For me, this is really important when it comes to, to booking the guests. Do, do your audience care enough about this guest to listen to them for, for up to an hour? Uh, people are much more interesting when they're talking about things they're interested in, so find a vehicle to, to get to these stories and to find the passions. We didn't want it to be the Richard E. Grant podcast, it was a Penguin podcast, so we wanted a format that was stronger than the presenter, so think about that if, you're, if longevity is, is important to you. Obvious, but we have a professional photographer that comes to the studio, we make lovely assets, and because they look nice, our guests and iTunes and our hosts are more likely to share the assets and shout about the show. Uh, and finally, if you are a brand, don't shoehorn in your product, find a way to kind of build them into the format, into the narrative of the podcast like we do with the audiobooks. Nan Davies from Something Else, talking about the Penguin podcast. You're listening to Next Radio 2017. I'm James Cridland, and if you'd like to be at our next conference, then you can. It's every September in central London. There's more details on our website. You can probably buy tickets too. You'll find the website at next.radio. That's literally all you have to type in, next.radio, where you can also join in our mailing list and stay in touch. Now, in the second part of this programme, we'll hear from Annie Mack, from Horror Shows, Why Radio Sucks, and lots more. So keep listening. <laughs> <laughs>